Welcome to Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth, a show about markets, investing, and financial planning. Join us as we cover current events that are in the news and answer top of mind questions from our listeners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. This audio may contain statements that may be deemed as forward-looking. Any such statements are not guarantees of future performance and actual results may differ from those projected. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, tax, or other professional services. Welcome to episode 35 of Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth. How and I are back today to talk about top of news. And uh, first item is going to be auto workers worry jobs will go away with EV production, ongoing strikes and whatnot. So we thought we would unpack that. There is some interesting stuff going on in the CD market. Has anyone tried to buy a CD lately? Good luck. Uh, <laughs> we've had a couple of situations recently. And rates might look good, and then there's no inventory. And uh, I did some quick Googling before uh, I hit record, and we'll share some some interesting stuff that we found with not even an inverted yield curve, like a like a wave yield curve in the CD market right now. It's a twisted. It's twisted. Curve. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like a it's like a whipsaw. Yeah, super strange. Interest rates jumped today with the retail sales smashing expectations, and finally, this is back in the news now. Real estate's or China's real estate implosion with Evergrande. Um, this is starting to come back up to the top of the news, and we thought we would we would unpack that as well. Uh, today is. October 17th, 2023, it's 9.47 in the morning, Pacific time, and we are recording this a little bit early because our team is headed out for a retreat. Uh, We get together twice a year in person. We chat through some of the upcoming objectives that we're trying to accomplish here internally. Uh, We work through some things that we can smooth uh, within our external client process, and we just get together and have a good time. We are a remote firm, so we've got uh, eight people in five states. And uh, so we like to get together twice a year to to actually see everybody live and in color, as I say. Um, So let's kick it off today. How we should start with this whole auto worker thing with the EV production. Um, This was in the news recently, and this is kind of interesting with the push to EV. So what what was your article that you wanted to quote, and what were the insights that you could share with our listeners? Yeah, yeah, a couple updates on the strike. Uh, UAW is still striking with the three big big three domestic automakers, Stellantis, Ford, and GM. And I think the biggest pain points, other than like CEO pay raises, um, the other one is the type of work being done. So I think you, if, if you have any insights on unions, they are typically protective of the type of work that's being done, hmm. right? And if you work on engines, you're always going to work on engines and if you sweep floors, that's not part of your job function. You're taking jobs away from someone else, which is mm. somewhat backwards in terms of where work has kind of evolved over the last, I don't know, 100 years. Um, I, could, I could definitely see where the protections had to come in from. So EVs, right, the next evolution of cars, at least from what we see, hybrids, EVs, um, away from internal combustion engines, if your job function is to make engines – these new EVs don't have any engines. They, oh, they have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They Way have smaller. Cars. Yeah. Yeah. So the part of the, the union negotiation or the, um, you know, the, the contract, there's, they're trying to focus on protecting, uh, you know, internal combustion manufacturing. You know, if you stamp, 
if you stamp uh, the block or you bore the blocks out, that's that's your only job, right? You're part of the union. Your job is relatively protected to an extent that that could be good. But the market is shifting beyond that, right? If if all your job is creating V8 engines, that might go away. And I think that's what the the union is definitely worried about. But then the there's good reason for that, too, at the same time. Um, just yesterday, Ford announced 700 workers are being laid off in their EV plants because they, they can't get them up and running. <laughs> so imagine working for one of the big three, and they can just lay you off because their operational um, cycles aren't up to par. <laughs> and they don't need the employees, right? Only to hire you back in three months. But <laughs> you're on either reduced pay, furloughed, or no pay in some mm-hmm. cases and you don't have union representation and Ford expects to you know leave you unpaid for three months and just to hire you back what kind of career is that right and I th- I'm trying to be neutral here because the union in this case would probably protect those Ford EV plant workers but at the same time they're kind of keeping progress stalled with the introduction or production of more EV and EV type of specialist workers where where unions don't have protections with these EV plants yet. And I think Tesla is e- a good example. Are the EV plants not a part of the union? Correct, yeah. They, they are not part of the union. Hmm. Um, they're, they're like a co-production with like Samsung Electronics and Ford, hmm. and they, they have a different workforce. Interesting, and that's because those specific job functions are completely different. On yeah, they're not a, the Specifically with the engine. I mean, the body of the Ford F-150 is the same, same right? So those, but interesting that they're able to, to do that same work without a union member. Correct. Huh. Correct, and then without the protections of the union, Ford can, you know, <clears throat> fire, essentially fire people yeah. on a whim. Lay off, and, yeah, hire and, again. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, will these people boomerang? Maybe. And unfortunately, they they do for the most part because that's kind of what they knew. As I've always worked at the Ford EV plant, and even though they treated me poorly, I'm going to go back. Um, that's, I think that's where the union protections are definitely um, valuable for society and for workers. But at the same time, on the flip side of that coin, they are a real impediment to progress. It's saying Ford had temporarily closed their EV plant this summer to upgrade its production capability. The company said that its latest layoff is related to multiple constraints, including supply chain, uh, working through processing and delivering vehicles that are held for quality checks after restarting production in August, not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And the company said that it, it will cut one of the three shifts at its electric vehicle center in Michigan, uh, and it will rotate the layoffs between those three shifts. Interesting. I wonder how many, I mean, 700 people to me doesn't sound like a lot for a huge company like Ford, but that actually probably is a decent percentage for that particular warehouse or, warehouse, or, the, yeah, or the, the, the plant, right? Yeah, the plant. So, yeah. so yeah, we, we hope there's a resolution. Um, I think the, the CEO pay is, especially for um, relatively shrinking industry, has has that stripped the, gro- the growth or the value created from those CEOs, right? So... <clears throat> Again, I, I'm I'm supportive of CEO pay if they create value. I think um, 
the NVIDIA CEO creates tons of value, and they, he should be compensated for it. But at mm-hmm. the same time, if you're not generating any kind of profits or growing profits, then your compensation shouldn't outstrip that growth, right? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, we'll see how this story unfolds and, and if it ultimately has a, a larger impact on, on the economy. Let's move to CD rates. Anyone tried to buy a CD lately? Uh, they're I have, hard to find. I have for clients, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's a rate that's stated, and then you're like, I want to buy that thing. And you click it, and there's none available. Yeah. So maybe you can unpack again. And, and, and for our listeners, we talked about this a bit in episode 34, our last episode. So if you haven't checked that one out, please do listen in. Uh, but uh, some interesting things have happened in the last two weeks with regards to what CDs are paying and their available inventory. So uh, how what's going on in the CD market? Yeah, um, and again, I don't want to minimize any conflicts, but with Israel-Hamas conflict bubbling up, rates dropped because mm-hmm. there's risk baked into the market, right? Um, if, if rates drop and you're a bank, let's say you're Bank of America, Chris, if, if you're offering two-year CDs that, you know, Using a blind example, 5.5%. Sure. And Israel gets attacked by Hamas. They respond in kind. Rates drop. What are you doing with that 5.5% two-year CDs that you want maybe $10 billion worth of? I'm losing money is what I'm doing with that. (laughs) So I'm going to pull that back. Yeah. Close it, right? Reduce that inventory. If if I have a call feature. So a call feature for our listeners is let's say I have a two-year CD. Maybe it's callable after the first year, which means if rates are below that 5.5% rate, I can basically pay off that CD yeah. early, forcing you to refinance at a lower rate. Yeah, or on the flip side, I'm going to – I have a $10 billion I need to raise. I'm going to lower that 5.5 to 4.9 mm-hmm. for a two-year CD, mm-hmm. or even worse, 4.7, 4.8, because, one, I'm a bank. I need profits what am I getting with CDs or I'm getting deposits, but in turn I'm taking those deposits and loaning that money out. Right. But if mortgage rates are 7.5% and credit card rates are at 24%, how much loan demand am I actually getting outside of the people who are just spending like crazy? We'll well, get to we, that. And we'll get to this in a minute. Yeah. I mean, we know that mortgage demand is, is down. I can't, I can't quote the percentage um, but we do know that spending has maintained, uh, particularly with today retail sales coming out and smashing yeah. expectations, right? Like people continue to spend. Um, so, but but yeah, if I'm if I'm taking in money at five and a half percent for a CD, I have to loan it out at more than that. Yeah, with some money. sort of a factor, yeah. say like a mortgage. So if I don't have a lot of mortgage demand, maybe I don't need this, the deposits. And so then I lower my rates and that's what's going on in the big banks right now. That's why your big bank is not paying you anything on their savings and checking accounts and their CDs are quite a bit lower than regional banks or other banks because they don't need your money. So, um, the, the, the highest paying CDs are, are outside of the big banks. And again, if you can find them. Yeah. Well, banks are a for profit entity, right? If I'm paying, a pool of money at five and a half percent, and I could barely loan out maybe twenty five percent of that pool. Right. I'm not making any money, even if it's like ten yeah. percent interest rates. Yeah. So I'm looking at a an image here of let's just call this a yield curve for CDs. 
And I'll quote a couple of things here for our <laughs> listeners. So a it's weird. It's it's weird. Um, actually, where where's this one that you pasted into the deck here? Uh, this first one is from uh, uh, my credit union. Okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, Golden One in Sacramento. Okay. Interesting. So your credit union looks a little bit more normal. So three months CD paying five point four five percent. Six months CD five point four five. Nine month five and a half. A little higher. 12 month, five and a half, 18 month, five and a half, two year drops, 5.35, three year drops, 5.1, four year down to 5%, and five year down to 4.9%, which is, uh, eh, you know, that's kind of normal. That's basically banks predicting that rates are going to fall. And ultimately, um, you know, they, they don't want to lock in a higher rate for the five year term. These rates are callable after one year as well, correct? That's the rub. Yep. So you could get ten percent for all we for all the bank errors. It's it's calling it back. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And yeah. for for everyone's information, call features are something that's installed by the the borrower for mm-hmm. the right to purchase the principal back in kind, in full, and you're getting cash back. So good luck reinvesting that. That that's basically what it's saying. You're still earning more at five or five and a half percent. You're still earning more on this CD than you would in a high yield savings account. So I did a quick Google search here for high yield savings accounts like I do. I'm just on the nerd wallet page. Um, I like the ones that don't have any hoops you have to jump through. So there are certain ones here. um, You know, you have to make a deposit and you have to make a withdrawal and you have to jump through a hoop and then you get their like bigger rate. So I typically quote into like Amex high yield savings or the Marcus high yield savings product, or uh, there's one that I actually just found through City. And, and and those, I know for a fact that the Amex one and the high yield or the uh, Marcus one, that there aren't any hoops you have to jump through. It's just yeah. money in, earn interest, money back out. Amex is quoting 4.3% on their high yield savings account. Marcus is 4.4%. Uh, City is 4.35. I also looked up the Apple card. I think the Apple card is 4.15. Um, I think Goldman Sachs is actually trying to to get out of that relationship from what I've heard. But anyway, that's not that's not what we're here to talk about. So Amex also offers um, CDs. And I actually got this thing in the mail yesterday, and I sent it to How. I texted him. Um, and it was on high-yield savings accounts and CDs. And I just want to quote our listeners, the wonky yield curve that Amex will pay you on a CD. So get this. You want to lock up for 11 months with Amex? They'll give you 5%. Makes sense. 12 months? Four and a quarter. Kind of makes sense, yeah. 18 months? 1%. Makes no sense. 24 months? 4.75%. 36 months? 1.15%. 48 months? 1.2%. And finally, 60 months, back up to 3%. What? <laughs> it makes no sense. Uh, yeah, the 36 month and 48 months, which is three and four years, that's 1% interest rate. It's like, what are we doing? Yeah. I, you know, I need to read the fine print here. Are these are these callable? Is that, I mean, if, maybe they're not callable. Maybe that's why they fall so much. Let's see. For CD rates subject, blah, blah, blah. CD must be funded within 60 calendar days at the time we approve it. Interest rates will be disclosed. Um, 
Early CD withdrawals may be subject to significant penalties, which could cause you to lose some of your principal. Please see the agreement. Huh. I don't see quickly, just in reading the fine print, yeah. that these are callable. Maybe that's why they have such a wonky yield curve here, because everyone else is giving you much, much higher stated rates. Even on Fidelity's website, if you just Google like CD rates on Fidelity, they're pretty high. And then they start falling off. But maybe that's because they're callable. So like, yeah, sure, 10 years or five years, 5.75 or 4.55, yeah. sure, but we call it in a year. Yeah, and to be clear, Fidelity does have access to not only certain banks, they have access to the entire marketplace of CDs. So mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. might have better luck with Fidelity, but mm-hmm. you're most likely in the secondary market where uh, we, we mentioned bonds, right? They they don't typically trade at 100%. There's going to mm-hmm. be 101, 99%, whatever the interest rates are doing. CDs are the same way. So if you're willing to venture into that space, that it's not as clear cut. There's math behind it that does justify pricing, but it's not as clear cut as, you know, buying a CD from your bank for a hundred dollars and getting hundred five dollars back in a, in a year. Can you unpack that a little bit? So if I buy a CD from my bank, I put a hundred dollars in, I get five percent. Boom, done, yeah. easy. But if I buy a CD from my broker, like or my custodian, you know, Schwab, Fidelity, et cetera. That's what's called a brokered CD. Correct. And that so, it doesn't matter where it's from, because it's not actually from Fidelity, it's from, you know, Goldman, insert bank Morgan name. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What's a brokered CD, and how is it different than just a normal walk in the bank and buy a CD? Yeah, it's just kind of like buying cards, just either lease or buy. It's just the method of purchase is different. So you're getting the same product, the same CD. Okay. But... Um, Fidelity does give you access to more banks than as if you're going to Bank of America because what is Bank of America going to offer you? They're going to offer you Bank of America CDs BBC, only, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so if if you are shopping around, it's probably easier to go the brokered route. But there's the issue of new issue versus secondary issue, right? And that's what I mentioned with the secondary issue is once, let's say Chris bought a t- five-year CD two years ago, mm-hmm. that that thing is moving in price, and mm-hmm. if he was willing to sell it, which is pretty rare, um, he would have to sell it at a discount because two years ago, rates were really low. Now they're much higher, right? Right. So uh, you're not getting um, an interest rate per se. What you're getting is a discounted CD, and it steps up every year. That's called an amortization. Hmm. And people are used to that with mortgages where they amortize away their principal. This is different where the principal grows, the amortization the difference between Chris's CD and what the market rate is now, that that doesn't come in the form of interest rates. That comes in the form of principal being added onto your CD as it approaches maturity. And so, interesting. But my CD, let's say I locked in my CD at 2%, you yeah. know, a year and a half ago. I'm still earning 2% only if I sell it. But if I sell it, I'm probably selling it I, I wouldn't, I mean, discount. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't, so I wouldn't, probably wouldn't sell, I guess it's math, is what you're saying, it's just like yeah, selling yeah. a bond. Yeah, so whatever mm-hmm. the difference between, let's say rates are 5% now, and that 2% represents a 3% gap, meaning yeah. I'm not going to buy that CD from Chris unless I get a pretty steep discount, because I could just go get a 5%, why would I pick up his 2% CD? Right, right. Now, I thought that brokered CDs trade more like bonds, though. Is that just because of what you're describing, because they have an open secondary market, whereas a bank CD, you generally can't sell to someone else. You generally, 
liquidate early from the bank and the bank penalizes you with like a lesser interest? Yeah. So yes and yes. So uh, Broker CD, you can buy new issues from directly from the bank or buy a secondary. That's where the price differences will come into play with the secondary market. Got it. And yeah, what you mentioned with wanting to cash in your CD early, if, if it's through Chase, you go to Chase or you sell it on the open market. Right. Okay. Interesting. But yeah, uh, Amex is probably the weirdest I've seen. That's um, super weird. Yeah. Really weird. I went through uh, Bank of America. Their 24, 25-month CD pays 2.96. Like, where's that huh. 5% that's been advertised, right? Well, our fr- yeah. Our friends you at can Keenan. get 1% at Amex for 18 months, or you can get 4.75 yeah. for 24. So yeah. take your pick. <laughs> yeah, our friends at KeyBank are doing something pretty similar to Amex here. Uh, 13 months, 4.879, pretty good rate, right? And then once you get to the five-year term, which they don't offer two to two to four years for some reason, but that five five-year CD pays 0.05 percent. Whoa! Yeah, and that's not a typo. That just means that KeyBank does not want to lock in any savings money or deposit money for five years not a half a percent 0.05 percent 0.05 yeah wow and then down to chase which seems kind of normal kind of for a big bank uh once you get past the one year mark uh the rate drops to three percent flat no no sorry past the one year mark uh which is 454 days in their language 0.02%. So Chase, you're getting a steal with KeyBank if you're going to be on two years, but Chase is offering 0.02. Notice too how, so this this Chase graphic, 1 to 10,000, 10,000 to 100,000, 100,000 plus, and the 180 day or 365 plus is the only one that you get a little bump. Only one, yeah. No, no. Actually, just the 180 day to 270 day. The six to eighth month CD is the only one yeah. that you oh, get a yeah. bump on. It goes from four, uh, 296 to 4.88 in a weird bump during that 180 day, 269 day range. No, no. I mean, what, I mean, if you if you give Chase ten thousand dollars, yeah, they're gonna give you four percent on that 180 day, you know, six to eight month CD. But if you give them a hundred thousand plus, they give you five percent. So you get a one yeah. percent bump on that. But that's the only one where they actually bump you up for more money. Uh huh. <laughs> so weird, weird wow. things going on. It is supply and demand. Think of think of it from the bank's point of view. They're here to make money. They're not here to give. They're not here to give away money. So if you're thinking of going and getting a five percent CD longer term, it just you you do have to search for it. Um, not to say it's like this unicorn that doesn't exist, but it's a lot harder than than people realize. And it, and beware about call features. Yep. <clears throat> Let's move to retail sales. So retail sales absolutely smashed expectations today, and um, that ultimately has caused interest rates to jump because the good news of people keep spending means the Fed might have more work to do to put a lid on the economy. What's your take? What was released today and what's going on? Yeah, retail sales grew at uh, 0.7% over 
over the prior month. So um, that's still, it's slowing from the August 0.8% gain. Um, but keep in mind, inflation was up month over month, 0.4% mm-hmm. in the same time period. So people, you would think that the, the higher prices is causing people to spend more. No, it's it's people spending more is causing people to spend more. Hmm. They're just buying more. And I think we're seeing it with cars, right? The average car payment now is $763 per month. That's mm-hmm. the average. Mm-hmm. So that means more than more, nearly half of the car payments out there are above $763. And I would venture to say there's a significant amount above a $1,000 single car payment, right? This is one car you're paying $1,000 a month on. Yeah. Um, that doesn't include insurance, doesn't include maintenance. Um, so the spending is probably way too high for the Fed's comfort level, right? And I think the, the interest rate market is already responding in kind, right? We, we, we saw um, the probability of a rate hike in December go from 34% up to 43%. Hmm. And again, this, this was just a few weeks ago was a 10% odd odds in in an increase in December. Hmm. So we're more we're inching towards one more rate hike and more likely higher rates for longer. But still what we just said is that the market's already pricing in basically the market doesn't care about one more rate hike cuz the market's already pricing in rates falling here into the future. Yeah. Based on these CD rates that we quoted, yeah. right? Correct. Mhm. So weird dynamics going on where CD rates should have justifiably higher yields. But again, we're in this weird imbalance where people are spending on one side and people are super saving on the other side. So there's there's this tug and pull going on. Spending grew across most categories last month with sales at specialty stores advancing the most by 3%. What's a specialty store? What's What's that category? I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. Like Sephora versus <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I like guess like probably a, not Walgreens. Yeah. I would guess like a bike store versus like a Walmart. Yeah. I would it's definitely not a Walmart. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Um, when, online sales and card purchases also grew at a strong clip, both rising at 1.1% in September and August. Yeah. The two weakest sales categories last month were clothing and electronics declining 0.8% during the same period. Well, we'll see if Apple's new iPhone can have a bump to that electronic spend. <laughs> Clothing spend yeah. could bump here soon with the holidays, but then also student loan payments kicking back in. I wonder if that's what's being watched too, is the student loan payments kick back in. You know, maybe maybe this data is still from the last month of, I don't have my student loan payments. Yeah. Spend it. Yellow. yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. And maybe we'll see we'll see people spend less uh, here in the, in, you know, the remainder of the year. Yeah, well, this quote here, we'd hope so for their sake, right? <laughs> How is this sustainable? Uh, this quote here from David Russell, global head of market strategy at TradeStation, whoever that is, I don't know who, who TradeStation yeah. is, but uh, he says, the U.S. consumer cannot stop spending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In other words, water is wet. Yep. Yep. Puts us on track for a strong GDP number later this month. That also gives the Fed zero reason to loosen policy which keeps the 10-year treasury yield pushing towards 5%. Yeah. Wow, interesting. Okay. So we think one more rate hike. Yeah, at least. yeah. and again, the dynamic is banks are going to look out for their bottom line. They're not going to give away free money. So yeah. 
Yeah, you, we may see higher CD rates posted, but it, it would be a struggle to find something and, that pays 6% or 5 and a, you know what I mean? Whatever the rates end up at. And once again, they, they don't need your money, right? They don't need I can see money. why maybe Amex, well, this is what doesn't make any sense with Amex, is this weird 5%, 1%, 5%, 1%, 3%, which doesn't make any sense. But Amex, to my knowledge, doesn't do mortgages. So Amex does things like personal loans, if I'm going to send out a personal loan at six or seven or eight percent, or issue a credit card at twenty-five percent, I can afford to pay more. And and with spending, you would think that there would be a rise in credit card balances. I, I know that there is, and personal loans. I don't know the answer to that. But you'd think that a, that a company like Amex would need more deposits, um, versus you know Chase and the regional banks don't because mortgages mortgage demand has fallen. Um, business loan demand too. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's all wrong, but I mean, I just, that makes sense to me. And that makes sense why a company like Amex would offer a better CD rate, yet they're the ones that are bouncing around their rates so much, which is super, super strange. So um, anyway, moving on. China's real estate market. This has been in and out of the news for, gosh, when did this first hit the news? Maybe a year ago. Um, this is the Evergrande issue. China is very, very overbuilt with their real estate market. And um, they have what are called ghost towns. And if you look this up, there's even a 60 minutes on this uh, China real estate ghost towns. Um, and they are huge, huge developments that it would be like if you walked into a mall and there was a sign where the subway goes and there's a sign where the Panda Express goes and there's signs where the Gap goes. But there's not actually those stores there. It's just like, hey, this is what would go here if anything were here. <laughs> yeah. um, that's what Coming these cities soon, look right? like. Yeah. And so the problem that's coming to a head is that real estate is built with debt. It's generally not built with cash. And that model works once either a building is fully leased up and then that's a, a, a asset that is, is stable or stabilized is what it's called. And then that asset is sold to like a pension fund or an insurance company. Um, and that then cashes out the developer, pays off typically a variable credit line. Yep. Or maybe it's a condo development, right? So it's built, it's built with credit, condos are sold, money comes in, that pays off the construction debt and you move on. Well, that's not happening here because there are so many units that are not at all uh, sold. So how I want to turn it over to you, um, this is back in the news recently. Why is it back in the news? And, and just what's your take on what's going on over there and what possibly could happen? Yeah, we're, we're going off of a pretty great article from Lynette Lopez on Business Insider. So if you want to look this up, this is actually a really good article to read. Um, first, let's kind of unpack at least um, how she writes it, uh, unpack how the funding mechanism for the Chinese government works, right? So we, we have property taxes here in the States mm -hmm. where it's like every year it's a, it's a tax, right? Um, in their scheme, it's, it's a selling of government land and property to fund the government but the sale occurs typically just once right so hmm. in in ours is uh the tax revenue is recurring every year right so you got a community that's that's growing the general obligation is growing because more more and more people are consistently paying their property taxes here in the states who who's buying that land is it the the, the residents? developers developers yeah so there's, so in China's, China does not have property tax. It might sound great, but it's a one-time transaction when you're selling land, right? So that's how China funds their um, 
at least the local municipalities are funding their their basic services like fixing roads and pensions so hmm. so they sell the the land to developers and then in turn use that to fund services for the local community but you can see where that kind of has a upper limit to it right because you only have so much land to sell for one but and what about demand yeah yeah you got it one well we're we're looking at the the government where how do they keep funding the government they got to sell more and more land right yeah and these developers have been buying more and more land, I guess, with subsidies, right? We're gonna fill, we're gonna buy these properties back from you, or our people, more importantly, are gonna buy these properties back from you to live in. But this has been going on for so long, where uh, the population of 1.4 billion people, but there's housing enough for three billion people. So one, if every man, woman, and child bought a house in China you would still have 1.6 billion vacant properties. What? Billion? Billion. So they built enough property to house, what, four four United States populations that are uninhabited. This says China has a population of 1.4 billion, but it has built housing for a population of... Three. three billion with according a to expert yeah. with a with a b <laughs> yeah so they have a 1.6 billion god if we could just ship some of those units over to the u.s we'd we'd solve a problem the housing eh? problem yeah god maybe <laughs> but just, maybe that in, contributed to the housing problem right because the amount of steel rebar wood right mm, yeah could push, actually interesting yeah could push costs up would put push yeah. costs up now that they've slowed down, what what is the price of lumber done, right? The price of aluminum and copper done. Many of the mega developments became empty monuments to Beijing's insatiable desire for growth. Correct. And their growth mechanism oh. is by selling property, selling land. So what what are they going to do, right? Sell it to the the people willing to build or con- construct on that land in turn for tax revenue, essentially. And in Shenyang, farmers have even taken over the development of empty mansions for cattle grazing. There's literally a picture here. Of a of, cow living it up in a big mansion. Well, a mansion's backyard. <laughs> <laughs> there's a picture here of like, it's a, it's a finished building. Looks really nice. And then there's a, a you know, a farm looking fence that's kind of like just fencing in this, you know, courtyard looking thing. There's a cow staring at the camera. Wow. Yeah. Well, he's probably yelling at the camera guy to get off his property because... That's fair. That's fair. So uh, this has a cycle of economic pressure, meaning they can't build anymore. They can't generate new tax revenue, right? There's one, who's going to buy any undeveloped land at this point when you have so much developed land already? Mm -hmm. And people who are wanting to buy they're saying well prices are crashing i'm gonna wait to buy so there's this Mm. frozen market of economic development that isn't happening in china that probably won't happen for years and i think the development companies that have bought all this land to and they built all these buildings they're not selling them so i think that could create such a credit bubble and credit burst i think this is Probably we're seeing the the early innings of a 
of a Chinese economic implosion. Hmm. Wow. This, uh, this is a great article. <clears throat> and this is interesting because this has been in the news. The market actually sold off when this hit the news. And again, I, I'm, I'm thinking that was about a year ago. And, um, and I was like, whoa, this could be a huge, huge issue. This whole, you know, Evergrande default default. And then nothing really happened, right? Oh, the debt payment got made or something got missed. Like I, I remember it hitting the news, but then it sort of just got brushed under the rug. And now recently it's coming up again. This is interesting. Yeah, the, the reason to invest in China, at least prior to this, was their massive and growing middle class, right? Very well-performing yeah. middle class, better than almost anywhere else, I yeah. believe. But now their demographics have shifted pretty quickly, where in 2022, their population has shrunk. Yeah. And now they're, uh, you know, in terms of retirement age, there's one retiree to every three workers. Hmm. So they're there's That's like imbalance. the Japan problem. Yeah, there's a massive imbalance because of their old policies that are coming coming around to bite them, right? Remember the one-child policy yeah, to yeah, prevent yeah. overpopulation? It's coming back, um, wow. That's becoming a big issue where, in, on top of that, the, their COVID policies are draconian. You know, I don't know how else to say that. And their relationships with the U.S. and Europe have been under strain in the last, what, six, seven years. Mm -hmm. And it's coming, you know, more heated in the last two years, but... All these companies are offshoring, right? What is Apple doing in terms of supply chain? They're looking to Southeast Asia, uh, South Asia, India, right? So if these big corporations are continually offshoring out of China because they were such a business-friendly environment, suddenly they're not. I think a lot of mega corporations are suddenly looking for different supply chains. Interesting. Okay. Well, this has been an interesting story as it unfolds. It, it uh, likely will take some time to, to really fully get exposed and unfold. I mean, it's been at least a year since this first hit the news, as I, as I keep saying. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll continue to follow up with it on our listeners and as we have more information. But um, that's interesting. It's interesting insights on what's happening you know, outside of our walls here in the U.S. Yeah, and it affects what diversified portfolios is something to watch out for. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Okay, wonderful. Well, that's all the time that we have for today's episode. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And um, we hope that this episode was, that was a fun. fun. One. Yeah. That was a fun <laughs> one. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Al. Talk to you all again right. soon. See you, Chris.